Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to Firing Synapses. This is a show all about exploration. I want to learn what makes you, you. This includes your hobbies, passions, whatever else drives an emotion. However, if you want to come on just to vent about what's currently bothering you, I'm perfectly fine with that as well. My goal for this show is for you to have a good time, learn something, and have the opportunity to talk about what you normally would not get a chance to share with others. Thank you and enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. For those of you return listeners, thank you very much. I appreciate all the love. For all you new listeners, I am your host, Matt Hamity. Today on the show, I have a very special uh, show lined up for you guys. I'm going to be talking about something I've always had interest in, but somehow I never got involved into this community. Uh, But before I go more into that, let me introduce my guests, and then we'll start the show from there. So first off, I have from the host of Dungeons and Chill, I want to welcome David to the show. Welcome, David. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad you can come on. Um, Also, for those who are longtime listeners, I also have the host of Adding Context, uh, Mike. How are you? Not bad. Glad to be back. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, like I said, um, I'm glad I saw both of you came on. Um, So today... um, I'm sure I'll put in the title, but we're going to be talking about Dungeons and Dragons uh, from an aspect of a total beginner like myself, because Mm -hmm. somehow um, through TikTok, um, I get all these D&D videos now, and I think somehow it started from, excuse me, from watching this guy who has like five total fingers. Um, He was making um, a Belgian cypher coffee which is basically, uh, it had like a hurricane glass. He put his coffee in and it has a balance on it. He heated up the water. The water went into the coffee grinds, came back into it, and then he poured it that way. So obviously I like weird stuff. Like I have a ball bearing, well, I used to have a ball bearing clock, which my my uh, my roommates did not like at all. Because every <laughs> like one o'clock, all this, uh, no, 20 or 25 balls would come rolling around. Oh, I loved it because it was annoying, but they hated it. So I love all kind of weird things like that. Um, So then I started liking that guy. And then I think after that, I started seeing all these D&D videos. And I played it once or twice when I was younger. But I don't think I played it right, according to some of the things they're saying. So that's why I have both of you on, trying to get uh, uh, learn more about it, what yeah, like I said, from somebody who's totally new, has no idea what's going on, like myself, and what what what's involved in D and D. What uh, what, what do you need? How how long games last? How long you two been playing? Um, so that's 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 today's show. My first question is: Is how, did you have fun when you played? Yeah. Yes. Um, you right. Yeah, you're not doing it wrong <laughs> as long as you're having fun. Like the the concept of you playing D and D wrong is only based off of like was it bad did you walk away never wanting to do it again um 
in in like the latest edition and D's got a bunch of like different versions since they've been start like they started early 80s um on the latest edition in the the guidebook on how to play D, it basically says for the person who controls the game they are the rule book they they make the call as whether it's going to work or not work and that's really what it comes down to is like you're not doing it wrong you're just all telling a different story so yeah so i mean like i said before we started when i played you know it, it was we was in probably grade school and for some reason my mom gave me two strict rules of things that i could not do one was uh listen to marilyn manson and one was play D D <laughs> because that was the devil game or something like that now she had no problem <laughs> me with playing like mortal Kombat or anything like that but manson and D were the off limits and of course as a as a a young kid, young boy, you know, I'm like, well, I have to listen to Manson and I had to play D&D. So people I grew up with, he had a book and we started, I, you know, playing as best as we knew how. I don't know if he, I don't think any of us really knew how to like officially play. So he was the dungeon master. There was three of us. I don't remember any dice, any dividers. All we had a sheet of paper with, the, uh, our name, our race, uh, and weaponry, and that's about all that we had. And I think that last couple hours, and he said, "Look, you shouldn't have this sword." I think it was, I, I think it was like four foot tall or something. My sword was like eight feet long. He's like, "If anyone asks, say you found it in uh, a cave or something." I'm like, I don't think anyone's going to ask. But okay. <laughs> I, I think you, he was he was seeing the curve of like this will be cool one day I'm sure of it. Yeah. So I mean, for me, I, I've been I started with second edition, advanced D and D second edition in like late 80s, early yeah, late 80s around 1990 or so. Um, the first time I actually was involved in D and D it was the original books uh, from like 1974 75. Mm-hmm. last year hit the 45th anniversary um so there's a lot that's changed from when i started playing i took a good 25 30 years off and kind of picked it back up again uh over a few years ago and now we're up to fifth edition and i think for people that are learning how to play now so to speak and, and i use the term learning how to play lightly because their books are guides they're not necessarily rule books per se yeah as we said before the only way you can play D&D wrong is if you're not having fun. So, I'm sure you'll, one of you or both of you will get into this. Is there a, a quote-unquote correct way to play? So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you right now and your listeners. Just close your eyes. If you're driving, pull over. Close your eyes. And I'm, going to, I'm just going to give you a scenario, and you just tell me what you want to do from here. So, you close your eyes. You walk into a tavern. It's it's noisy. There seems to be some loud bard that's singing off key. You can smell the ale has stained the floor. There's straw everywhere. People are are kind of pushing each other around, and they're not they're not happy people. But you see that there's an open spot at the bar, and the the bar owner he seems to have this big bushy mustache and not much else. Looks human. Um, it's got a chef's hat on, and he waves you over. What do you do? Uh, ask for a drink. Congratulations, you've just played D&D right. <laughs> like, 
there's there's nothing else that that really needs to come down to it um there are people who want to stick to the rules of like okay well the book says this and they use the the book as 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 bible and that's fine and like that might be a great game for some people there are some people who just want to tell a really great story and they use the 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 rules as guidelines if if just like hey how do i make sure that this is a little bit more grounded and i don't break everything so if you have the opportunity to just kind of sit down it's it's just imagination with math and dice yeah you know it's um i have i have i have my dice right here with me and that's like the main thing that you need is an imagination and some some dice at the end of the day so i mean like is there like a standard set of dice like a set of five or or seven or whatever is that kind of like one of the like the main things you need is just a set of dice you can go to barnes and nobles and pay maybe 15 20 bucks for a little clear case that has all the die that you need Got a 20 sided which is predominantly most used die in playing dnd you'll usually have two 10 sided die eight a 12 a six and a four sided die and they're all used depending upon what your weapons are what skills are so there's there's a lot of different variations to which die you're going to need at what time and that's where the guidebooks come into play yeah as far as you know the right or wrong way to play it i think the as long as you can come to the table with an imagination and with the intent of having a good time you can't play it wrong yeah and as long as you have a DM who's played a couple of times before and they're not a complete jerk um, and just not doing the like, you total noob, you don't belong here. As long as you have someone who is inviting and wants you to participate, they'll help you. Everyone at the table wants you to have a good time as well. Um, and they'll tell you, OK, you need to roll the D20. That's the, the that's this one. And OK, now that you've done that, add these numbers based on a character sheet. And that character sheet determines you know, what your race is. Are you an elf? Are you human? Are you a half orc? Um, what's your class? Are you are you the 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 quiet rogue with the tragic backstory? Are you the the boisterous fighter who goes out and tries to save the day? Um, and those are all things that like help determine from the book the rules of how you are going to play in those moments. And it'll even tell you in the book, okay, you're a paladin, you use this specific dice, you do a you use a D8. Uh, for this spell um, or you add the d20 plus this uh, on your character sheet and that tells you whether or not you hit the bad guy or succeed on lock uh, uh, picking the lock yeah i think the more in depth you get because you you kind of hit it a few times as to how long can a game go on for yeah <clears throat> typical sessions will last you know a few hours but the game and the storyline itself i mean it can go on for years <laughs> if you have a, a good enough storyteller in your DM that can create these little arcs. You have your, you know, as any story is, you have a beginning, middle point, and then your end. But a good DM and find these little ways to pick up everybody's characters, you know, their backgrounds, and and kind of have a little adventure, so to speak, per character, mm -hmm. which is going to play into the entire story arc. The more enamored they can get, and the more detail they can get, I mean, there's there's a lot of content that you can play with, and a, a lot of ways that you can really expand it. But like uh, like David said, as long as your DM isn't a colossal jerk and and a rules as written type of person, 
you should have a good time. Yeah. So that's kind of one of your the key element is having a good dungeon master, basically, right? I don't think it's it's necessarily the definition of a good dungeon master. It's finding the dungeon master that works for you. It's it's a relationship. You know, you're not you don't want to hang out with a friend who has complete opposite interests of of you, right? Like if you like football and this guy has nothing to do with football, like what are you going to talk about, right? Like of course there's always going to be this is an extreme example, but you know, there's going to be DMs who want a heavy realistic game where it's a very number crunchy and there are different versions of D&D and other tabletop games that are like that. Um, and like for me as a DM, I like I like a little bit of the rules with a lot more story. Um, I and I've had players that it's like, hey, listen, we're not we're not meshing um, either. Either we need to change something and we can have a conversation about that. Or I'm going to ask you not to sit at my table anymore because this is not fun for me. And if it's not fun for me, then. I project that unintentionally onto the rest of the players and everyone suffers. Agreed. Now, excuse me. Uh, so as far as, and, and like I said, I keep coming back to this because I, I don't really have a good frame of reference other than, you know, some guy tells a story and the other guys are kind of following along. But in your normal crowd that you play with, do you usually have just one designated person as a dungeon master? And everyone else goes along with him, or do you swap out? Do you, um, you know, it's you keep it until there's a problem or something, and then either find a new group or a new leader type of thing. Is that kind of how it works? So typically, your DM is going to be the the main and only storyteller of that particular campaign. You know, from from start of the story to the end of the story, <clears throat> um, because there's source materials that you can get. Uh, I know. D&D Beyond is a phenomenal wealth of resources. There's different adventures you can get and, and good ways so you don't have to create anything from scratch, especially for, for newer players. Mm-hmm. Get a, a group of friends like you and you know three or four of your friends buy a few of the things from D&D Beyond and you can get yourselves going without having any other playing experience before. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so you can get guides that'll it'll run you from start to finish on a certain campaign that says, you know, this is the story you're going to tell. You need three people to play, uh, or we suggest you have three to six people, whatever. And, mm-hmm. and it'll run you the whole story, you know, and then depending on how they roll, what they pick, that's kind of, you know, start to finish, you'll have a, a complete loop type of thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. Now, and like, there are people f- who make up the entire thing. They they make the world, they make the history, they make um, the the cities that they're going to be experiencing in, and they will write it all down. Um, and for some people, that is enough that can spark everyone's creativity. Uh, a friend of mine, she is currently doing the first time DMing a game, and it's based off of the fact that their current DM needed a break. Um, it's really taxing to DM consistently especially if you're doing it every single week because you have to prep what are they going to do next what are they going to do that I don't plan for what are they uh what are they going to be looking for and what's the next goal that I need to lead them to yeah um so the, he's taking a break and she's like well let's just do a small little fun campaign that I'm thinking of and it's like three or four sessions and they play for once every week for about 3 hours and 
then after this is done, he's going to come back in after taking a little bit of a break, and they're going to continue with their main story and main quest uh, for the adventurers. Um, I am what's called a forever DM, which means I never really get to play. I don't take many breaks. Um, I have control issues, so I don't like letting other people DM. Now, I mean, so for you, if you're always DMing, do you... I mean, you just said you had a control uh, the problem issue, you know? Yeah. Uh, so because you don't like the way, um, let's say it's because you don't like the other way, the way the other people do it. That's why you, you rather have a nice controlled or whatever situation. So you're, you're kind of voluntold to be the, the DM. Um, would, would you rather play than than BDM or it's it's kind of all depending on the crowd type of thing it really depends on the crowd um it's it's one of those things that after you get used to DMing for a while and knowing all the secrets and knowing what's going to come up next it's really hard to let go of like wait but what is beyond the door I can't I can't break down this door with my brute strength and I don't I can't pick the lock because that's just not my character so it's really hard to let go in that sense and there are Times where it's like, I really don't like the way that this DM handles the situation. I I would have done this differently. Um, there was one time my character killed a dragon almost single-handedly and bathed in the dragon's blood. And I was like, okay, cool. Like like the story of Sigurd, he, he got magical powers because he bathed in the dragon's blood. What happens to me, DM? Tell, tell me what happens. It's warm and it's blood. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but like... And then I walk away and I, I feel revitalized. No, you, you still have all your, your damage. Okay, but like now, like Sigurd from the stories, I can hear the birds speaking to me. Nope. Uh, just took bath in dragon's blood. And I was like, oh, come on, give me, give me something to work with here. So I think that's lack of imagination on, your, uh, on that DM's part. <laughs> a little bit. And like, there are definitely times where as a DM, you get tapped uh, for ideas. Um, but like, there are times where I would like to play. Um, I still think of characters that I would really like to play. Um, I have for one game that I got to play like one single session as, as a player for somebody else's game, I played a bird person who can't speak English, but can only speak in movie quotes and he <laughs> shoots guns. So of course he's going to quote like die hard and John Wayne films and whatnot. So like that was his whole thing. And it was, yeah, you be yay. <laughs> Um, it was a lot of fun. So, yeah, I like to play, uh, but most often I find myself like, oh, this is a really great idea. If I were DMing, I would do X, Y, and Z instead. Now, let's say you play once a week for five to six hours a week, whatever. Mm -hmm. Is there, what's kind of like an average uh, time you set aside to make this week's uh, endeavor go on? Do you set, you know, a couple hours? Do you set a whole day's worth of time type of thing? I mean, what's your, like, prep time uh, look like? Well, Dave thinks of that. My prep time is usually about an hour and a half. I, I try to not plan a lot and allow my players to kind of dictate where it goes. Yeah. Um, it, it's just a matter of having an understanding of what the have an idea of where I want them to go to, where I want them to be at the end of the session, and kind of plot out a few different paths and, and kind of prep for maybe some encounters they might run into and so figure might, out. Yeah. So you might have kind of like a rough outline, like this is where we're going to start. 
and they're going to have a choice here and they can either do this or right. this. And then depending on, you know, what, what they take, you know, it'll take them down different paths. Not necessarily, this is going to be the it's whole no six hours. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I think for me, it kind of comes down to like, I never stop prepping. Like I'm always making mental notes of like, what are they going to do next? Like, what would I like to see happen next? Um, and then I think the day before I'll spend about two hours. I'll, uh, if if we're going to be in a new city or something, I'll make a map. Um, or if there's going to be a fight, I will draw it out so that way they can see physically, like, this is where your dwarf is in comparison to the bad guy. Um, but most of the time, I try not to get too bogged down in making huge notes because nine times out of 10, probably like 99% of the time, not even just 90%, they will do exactly the opposite that I had planned. Um, I'm running a, a pre-built campaign right now. Uh, it's called Curse of Strahd, which is huge and famous. Awesome. It's, been, it's been going for a while. And every time that I was like, okay, I'm going to read the next chapter. This is the direction that they're heading. I'll be prepared. And then they go off and do the exact opposite. So I am reading like two lines ahead of wherever they are. Yeah, let's go investigate that tower way over in the distance. No, you're uh, not allowed to. You have to go here. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Have this blocked. <laughs> Go ahead and role play a little bit while I. Okay, just I just need to get to the page where that's at. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right. So you're at the tower, and then moving on from there. Now, I mean, you, you just talk about role playing. So, how um, is 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 it pretty much like the DM? I don't want to say versus the group. But it's kind of like the DM stands alone and the, everybody else is doing their own type of thing. Or like, will you allow allow or uh, have them like interact amongst themselves? That way you can either plan or change your your, uh, your set ahead, your set plan type of thing. Is that kind of how it works sometimes? If that I makes think, sense. Yeah. So I, ne I never really liked the idea of it's the DM versus the players because yeah. the DM creates the world but it's the player's story. It's their experience to go on. Um, so I like to tell people like when, when they're getting into D&D &D for the first time, it's collaborative storytelling. And that's all that it is. Because I don't know what my wife is going to do when they, um, when they decide like, I, I want to go and see if that child's still alive. I actually want the child for my blood sacrifice because I'm evil or something like that. Like, um, so like I will, I'm there to help facilitate what story they want to tell in reaction to moments around them. Um, and it comes down to like how to get them going. So sometimes you got to give them like a really fun NPC to work from. I, uh, for another game, I made a, a bunch of goblins in a trench coat, essentially, and they're trying to pretend to be human. Um, <laughs> and by giving them something to feed off of, just, just like three of them stacked up and it has a, you know, a bolo hat on. It's like in a trench coat. Yeah, I'm, I'm a person. <laughs> yeah. And and their their secret name to to fool everyone else is we're not five goblins. And the, the reason they're not five goblins is because they're actually four goblins in a trench coat. <laughs> um, so like giving them something to latch on to, giving something to like bounce off of inspires them because it's kind of a do as I do in, a, in that moment of like, if I give them really great role playing, they will want to role play as well. Um, and some of the best moments as a DM, and I, I don't know, I'm, I'm talking a lot, Mike, I'll, I'll, sorry, I'll wrap up in a second. No 
um, one of the best moments as a DM is when you might pull the carpet out from underneath them and they realize like, oh, we may have been working for the bad guy this entire time or something along those lines. And they stop doing everything and they just role play. You know, oh, I thought this was going to be the situation and now I'm really mad and I'm I'm taking this out on you. And um, like any time that you talk to a DM, their favorite time, most of the time, is when the players in character are reacting to what you have done for them. Engaging with each with each other. I think there's there, there's kind of two ways or, or thought process to how people can play their characters. Um, and there's a lot of ways of, of developing that character. Um, for me as a DM, when I run a session or a new, start a new session, I'll have a, a what they call a session zero, which is kind of the introduction of what just a, a very cursory idea of what might lay ahead of them. Um, the character creation, which can take a few hours to, to really nail it down, depending on how in-depth you want to get. Um, but there, when it comes down to the actual role-playing aspect of it, I'm a big fan of, of the more imagination and the more character they put into their to the playing of the character, you know, speaking mm-hmm. first person as opposed to third person. Um, know i do this as opposed to my character does this kind of thing um to me it's more engaging when they the players are acting out their character and and their actions and and what they say and the more involved they get with you know talking about each other you know there's a fork in the road do you go to the right do you go to the left oh well yeah just the engagement amongst themselves is to me is the best part of being a dm so, I, I, like I said, I, I'm sorry, I keep coming back to this, but like, so you're basically there to kind of nudge them in, in in the right direction. You'll have, like I said, a, from anywhere from bare bones structure to full story, and you kind of let the players mostly do what they got to do, and then like, and then sometimes you'll step in and say, "Well, this this happened now because you did that type of thing." Yeah. Yeah, yeah you're, you're like I said. You you have the story arc. You have a general idea of, especially if you drive by one of the um, pre made, pre written stories. You have a a start and an end point, and your job as a DM is to help them navigate from start to beginning by allowing them to experience the world, but kind of keeping them in check when they need to be put back in check. Sometimes it's a matter of throwing a big bad guy at them that might not be in the story. Sometimes yeah. it's just allowing to let let them run wild and, and see where it goes. Yeah, because I mean, I play a lot of first person games, you know, like uh, all of your Bethesda games and stuff like that, where you're 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 have you know, you're your character, and then they set out set out a you know a war a world and you know other NPCs and stuff like that. So it's kind of like i don't want to say the real version but kind of like the real version of those type of games type of thing where you have a story yeah you go with it type of thing is that kind of how it is i think i think one of my favorite examples of kind of what you're describing is in witcher 3 there's a way that you can like spam killing cows for money and if you do that too much the computer just recognizes like, nope, we're not going to let you do this. We're not going to let you cheese our entire game. And they send this super high monster that you have no way of beating to your location randomly. Um, So if you think about it in the scheme of like, all right, well, as a player, I'm going to buy a ladder and then I'm going to break off all the rungs and then sell a 10 foot pole to the marketplace because I'll make more money that way. Like 
there's a there is ways to cheese any game really but the dm is going to be like all right cool now you have to fight uh i don't know balrog have fun um and <laughs> there's there's a lot of memes out there of like what people think dnd is is like now i am the dm and you will follow my whims to every desire but what it really is is like you have spent the past four hours in real time trying to talk to a fish please <laughs> move on I think I, I can agree with that assessment. <laughs> now, now you talk about like the different versions and you know, you're on coming up on the fifth uh, edition and stuff like that. Well, how does, how do they differ from edition to edition? And like, does like character development change? Uh, what's available? What skills available? Or, I mean, what's the difference between what was, what was back in, you know, 74 from those books to like now type of thing. I think it kind of covers um, everything of what you just said. It does. You know, there's <laughs> there the, the rate of expansion from the original D and D, which was pretty much your fighter, your mage, a cleric, and a thief. Um, you now have, I think there's ten or twelve different main classes. Um, some are magic users, some are brute force, some are in between. Um, the guidelines so to speak of gameplay have become a little more streamlined things make a little more sense easier to pick up i think i from from reading the five uh, fifth edition stuff to what i recall from the second edition it just seems to be a lot more streamlined and easier to get things going out of the box so to speak yeah i i would definitely agree with that and like there are appeals for each one um i think it was in second edition they had this thing called thaco I can't remember what it stands for, but it was basically like armor class zero. Yeah. Um, and it was like your armor class had hit points and that was, that was BS. Um, so they took that away in like the third and, and 3.5 editions and every edition they try and like, they try to add new things and, and really listen to what the play testers and, and the audience really enjoyed. Um, you, if you talk to most people, they will say fourth edition dungeons and dragons is the worst. Um, and it really like it was really a nightmare because um, in the way that you might play League of Legends and you can cast status effects on your enemies, you as the player have to keep track of the status effects that you are suffering and like someone else is suffering. But then also if someone else has a status effect, you need to make sure that they don't clash. And it became super repetitive, super monotonous of, of just keeping track of numbers. And it lost the interest. Uh, Gary Gygax, when he created the game, he wasn't really worried about telling some grandiose story. He was like, how do I, how do I make these mechanics work for, you know, a Tolkien like story uh, or a, an experience? Because he was modding a, another game, which was just the, like uh, civilization where you have armies that go back to back. Um, so every version kind of makes different changes. Um, 3.5 is a really popular one, but it's really number crunchy. There's a lot of, okay, so I have, these stats and i'm wearing this belt which adds to my strength but takes you know takes out of my dexterity and 5e is kind of a, a simplified version of 3.5 um and there and it's not just dungeons and dragons um a whole team from wizards of the coast that helped make 3.5 were like it's not number crunchy enough we're gonna make a whole nother company called paizo and make pathfinder um so like there's so many different versions of the same thing and it's almost even more daunting when you go to a, a game shop 
and you're like, I want to play D&D. And they're like, okay, well, do you want to play Star Wars D&D? Do you want to play modern fantasy D&D? Do you want to play uh, Star Trek D&D? Like, all of these are very different. Yeah, I think people have taken the, the role-playing aspect of it um, and character development, and they've kind of spurred off a number of, I mean, like you point out, there's there's a Star Wars, there's a Star Trek, there's... There's Vampire the Masquerade, there's Werewolf, there's there's a lot of games that are out there that are very similar in the role-playing aspect where you create a character and you have a storyteller or a dungeon master or a game master. Tells a story, but it's just a different all different clothes on it, so to speak, because it's yeah, the environment's different, the, the character sets are a little different, you know, the premise is different. Um, but it all boils down to people separating from reality for a little bit and hopefully having fun. Great. So when you go into your sessions, you're, you already have um, what version everyone is playing off of that type of thing. So, you know, if in 3.5, you know, you had this status effect, but uh, this guy's playing, you know, five or five E or whatever. And that, either doesn't exist or completely nullifies um, whatever was in the earlier version. So, yeah, you know, everyone's kind of going to be on the same page. This is the version we're playing. So nothing ahead, nothing behind. This is this is kind of where we're at type of thing. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's going to be on the same edition. Otherwise, it gets it'd be too too insane to try and keep track of things like that (laughs) can you imagine somebody on fourth edition trying to play with somebody on second edition of just like no you didn't hit my thaka (laughs) well i have a status effect that that helps me with that (laughs) now what about as far as so like so right now like the only thing you really need is someone who can tell a story people who can get along people who want to have fun and dice is there pretty much any other physical or mental things that you would need to play i mean imagination is like i said it's a big component of it as far as books it wouldn't wouldn't hurt to have a player's guide and maybe a dungeon master's guide just to kind of give you the idea of the basics of creating that character and whoever's going to be your storyteller kind of there's some tools and things in there charts to go off of for awarding you know prizes and, and treasure and some very basic uh, enemies in there. So they at least kind of prep and set up the game that way. But outside of that, you don't have to go nuts and, and buy every piece of every book that's out there and, and all the stories, all that. It's, it's not necessary. Mike, I don't need you attacking me like this. Cause I'm looking <laughs> I, at my show. Trust me. If, if you look at my D and D beyond catalog, you, you, you'll <laughs> see that I'm a little insane with it. Um, one of the things that I recommend uh, to add on to Mike is, um, yes, buy the PHB, uh, the player's handbook, and uh, a set of dice, and have a little bit of yes and, because that's going to be huge. A little bit of uh, improv is going to take you a long way, especially if you want to be a DM or a decent role player that can really react. Um, my favorite thing to do is go out and buy a starter kit. Um, the starter kit has everything that you need to build a character quick and easy. It uh, doesn't get bogged down with too many rules because when you read the book, it, it's like playing any game. If you read the rules before actually playing, you can get lost really easily. Yeah. You know, playing uh, Settlers of Catan without actually playing it, you get like, wait, why do I need to make a path here? Like, what's <laughs> what's the point? What's the goal? 
But once you get like start practicing it and like simplifying some of the steps before you jump into the deep end of like, okay, now I need to grapple the guy while I tackle him to the ground so I can throw him into the lava pit. Um, it, by having that starter kit, it simplifies a lot of stuff. It gives you the dice. It helps you with some characters and it gives everybody the opportunity to like try something a little bit different. Yeah, I think it even has some pre-generated characters for you so you literally can open up the box and hand out some sheets to people and, and just get going. Yeah. Now, what about um, as far as like LARPing uh, and uh, like physical, uh, like do people, some people physically go out with like, you know, cardboard or whatever type of swords and then actually like physically get into it type of thing? Or is that kind of a separate thing altogether? I believe it's it's kind of hard to, to have a decent cohesive session when people are running around hitting each other with with things so it, it's definitely done and, and i've seen you know the, the more serious larpers you know with legit chainmail and and metal weapons and things like that but that's usually my understanding reserved for like the renaissance fairs and things like that where um conventions where they're that's kind of how they're supposed to be playing yeah i'm just sitting around a table and larping is is like it's is a whole other beast entirely because you can create a story as as a storyteller. I think that's what they officially call them. Um, but you don't watch the minutia happen. Just at the end of the day, you kind of get a report from your scouts or you know employees, uh, and they tell you kind of what's happened, and you update the story. And maybe the next morning before the something happens, everyone is told, "All right, so today you 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 find out this news, and that's that's their motivation." Um, I, I, LARPing is just another version of of role playing, but just without a table, and it just different rules. Yeah. Now, what about like uh, I think it was in Stranger Things they had like figurines. Is that what they were playing? Were they playing D anD D there with like yeah. like? So, it is the figurines just cosmetic things? Like you don't need it, but it's there for for show. Or is there like is there an actual physical board? Some people play with on a physical board or whatever, you know. So it kind of kind of goes back to that like imagination practice that I had you go through of like you can imagine it, and I can picture it as well. But the way that we picture it are going to be two different things. Um, there are people who get a uh, dry erase mat and draw out a really fancy uh, space, and then they will use what's called miniatures or just minis. And that will represent people and tables and whatnot. And people have gone to great lengths to buy little models for houses and streets and whatnot. Um, people have 3D printed these things and painted them themselves. Uh, so they have castles and ships that the players can actually walk through with their little miniature of their character. Um, for some people, that that is very expensive and hard to do. So they just use a mat and... That way they can draw out the the physical space that they're in. If they get into a fight, it's easier to say, okay, you have three guys ahead of you. Now you know three guys are ahead of you, how they're shaped, where they're lined up, and if there's something physical you can interact with between you and that space. Yeah, I, I tend to use miniatures for encounters. Um, you know, dry race board to kind of lay out your dungeon so people get a, a, a visual of what the lay of the land looks like. Um, as a DM, it comes in handy because there are certain rules with certain characters, like a thief. If you get into the right position, you can do what they call backstabbing, and it you can do some pretty heavy damage as a thief with that um, because it gives you extra damage 
do that, mm-hmm. but you have to be in the right position. So it allows you to kind of see how people are moving within the environment. It makes it a little more visual reference of trying to keep track of everything in your head. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, like David said, there's, there's people that go pretty, pretty crazy with it. And, you know, they, they literally construct these, these whole towns out of stuff, uh, model buildings. I, I mean, I've seen people literally take styrofoam and, and build castles out of it. And it's, it's some phenomenal artwork in and of itself, but to just play, you don't necessarily need them. But it, it helps to me. It helps enhance and and keep track of things in certain aspects. Yeah. I I personally I don't use them that often because podcasting isn't always a a visual medium. So it is it's my responsibility as the DM to really clarify the room that they're in, how far away they are. Um, it changes some of the rules because then it's it's some of the rules are like, well, what's your line of sight? Can you see this person? Um, and you just kind of have to play it by ear. Um, I think that the official term is theater of the mind where you kind of all everyone pictures it and you just try and do your best to keep everything in track so like when someone else's turn comes up i will remind each player this is where you are you have two enemies in front of you your allies at your back and they're fighting two other enemies what do you do okay now you've you've tossed the table over and you've thrown the bad guy onto the table and you're standing on his back one enemy is still to your left but your friend is now ahead of you because you the way that you dived or whatever the the dm has a a lot of power in the aspect that they can they can in some ways make and break the session you know there are some dms that i've played with that literally will make you roll for every single thing you want to do oh you know i'm at i'm at the tavern and some guy starts giving me a lip and i'm gonna throw my beer in his face well roll to see if you hit him your your, reality is is you're literally face-to-face if i lifted my hand fast enough i'm gonna get spilled on so yeah. um controlling controlling the the game flow is is a big thing and i said with having a dm that's as clear as descriptive as, as as david is um to me that gets you more immersed into the story you get more sucked into it to me it makes it more fun definitely now david you mentioned something about uh the player's turns it is it kind of like turn-based or like as things happen type of thing where, you know, this person is going to react so the spotlight is on them to roll or make it to the decision? Um, or do you like, I mean, is it like this person turn, this person turn type of thing? As- uh, there's there's two ways that it can happen. Um, there's combat, which everyone rolls what's called initiative. You roll your d20 and you check and see if there's anything to be added on your character sheet. So I just rolled my, my d20 and I rolled a 12. So now I know in what order, if the bad guy rolled higher or lower as the DM, I would say, okay, the, D, the, the bad guy rolled lower. So you get to go first in your combat action. It, people can play like that for the entirety of the game. They can start their session with an initiative roll and it just kind of goes down the turn. But then it makes it a little bit more complex to do open role play with each other. Um, so most of the time when you're not in combat, you don't have to worry about whose turn is it or what. Um, the DM will just try to make sure that there is cohesion and everyone's kind of playing nice. So everyone has a moment. Uh, so it's like, all right. So um, to my characters, Arya and 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 Kayavi, you guys are walking down the street. What are you guys looking for? What are you doing? Oh, we're just going to talk. Oh, what did you think about this bad guy that we ran into? Oh, he was very, very weird. I'm, I'm glad that we killed him. Hey, let's go into the shop and let's get some potions. 
Um, okay, cool. Now you two over here, Morwin and Neelith, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're we're going to be uh, prepping spells for the next hour. Cool. So it kind of goes back and forth, and sometimes everyone's in the same group, and you just say, "All right, bad guy sits in front of you. You do." And like they can talk it out, they can attack. It's it's entirely up to them. I mean, and that so that kind of goes back to um, like the different versions of whatever you know. You you say uh, this is the version we're going to play. So some of them might be number crunchy, and you roll for everything. Some of them are just we're here to have a fun time. You know what happens happens type of thing. So it's all depending on how you like to play and how your crowd likes to uh, play with you type of thing. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say. Typically, the only time I worry about rolling and turn-based scenarios is strictly through the encounters. Now, what about like as uh, as far as when you play? Do you play online? Do you play only in person, or did you only play in person? But because of everything that's going on now, that you pretty much or forced to play online? How's that kind of work for both of you? I uh, I was literally just started a, a new campaign with a group of friends that I've been playing with for the last two years. And when everything started, I have not played again since March. Oh, that's too bad to hear. I, I tried, you know, facilitating and getting it done online and things like that, but it's just, it's hard to get everybody together at a computer, but at least when you're doing it in person, it's hey, this Saturday at four o'clock, everybody just be at the house and start jamming that way. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, for podcasting purposes, we would have everybody here. Um, we all had everyone on mics. They'd all sit at the table. Um, and we had a really great backlog before COVID really hit. So we were able to continue editing and push some episodes out. And back in March, we were kind of hoping that, like, okay, by the time that we hit the end of this backlog, um, we'll be able to jump back into our game. And situation of the world as it is, that was not the case. So we decided to go solely online. And um, with that online, it kind of is new challenges of new audio issues. And how do I uh, how do I make sure that everyone's attentive? But in the end, since I use theater of the mind, I don't need to... Uh, bring everybody up to speed as far as visually. Um, I do have some other games that I, I'm playing that aren't podcast related. And for some of those, I do get maps and there are online services that really help. Roll20 is is a website <clears throat> where um, you as a DM create, you know, put, a, put up a map and everyone can see exactly what you want to see and they can move their piece around and they can say, hey, I want to move my character there. There's a lot of online great options. Um, D&D Beyond, as Mike has mentioned a couple of times, it's really great because it keeps track of your character sheet and you can even buy d- digital dice so you can just roll your your uh, <laughs> stats right there on, on the computer. Um, I, I miss being in person. I think being in person is really great because then it's it's easier to keep everyone focused. It's very hard to keep everyone focused when like all of the internet is right in front of them. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is one bad thing about doing anything like... So my 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 paying job is you know I I have to be there. There's physical things I have to do. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I could be one of those people that can work from home because I just get so distracted on 
hey, look, I have, you know, two monitors here, plus this one, and plus my phone and stuff like that. I get distracted enough <laughs> when I'm at work. I can, I, I don't know how those people are working from home. I would love to, but I, my, my job actually, I physically cannot work from home just because of what I do. So I, I can only imagine things like that, even if it's something that you want to do, like play a game, well, organized game type of thing, you can yeah. be completely distracted. Like even when I was sitting in on uh, camera or photo photo club meetings, I would still have the Zoom meeting on one screen and then playing Magic on the other screen. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my uh, my jobs um, all all of them require me not to be able to do it from home. <clears throat> um, one of them requires me that I have potential to be exposed uh, because I ride on an ambulance. So I'm at pretty good risk. So I don't want to put anybody that I ha don't have to at risk for potential exposure at that. So that's one of the reasons why I haven't mm -hmm. uh, at our in-person sessions, but hopefully with the vaccine rolling out soon, we can kind of get back to, to doing that. I, I miss it <laughs> a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm in the same same boat as far as like I just don't want anyone to be sick. I don't want the potential, um, and I don't want to have a cloth mask while I'm trying to record. It's gonna be muffled. It's gonna be bad. Um, so I'd rather play it safe. I have I have friends and family that are autoimmune, uh, and they've got just compromised issues. So I'd rather play it safe. Um, so yeah, compromises are made just to make sure that. I still get some social activity time with some of these people that I would normally spend three or four hours playing a game and then another hour just kind of shooting shooting the breeze with them and and trying to make sure that like we're still maintaining a friendship and our social social lives together. Yeah. Um, okay. Before um, uh, we get into anything else, uh, let's do some plugs. Uh, David, where can uh, people find you? What are some of the places that people can find you if they're looking for you? Uh, so if you want to follow the official podcast Twitter, it is at Dungeons N Chill, the letter N. And if you want to follow me personally, you can follow my Instagram at The Crest Sphinx. David, what about you? Where can people find you? Um, I have my own podcast called Adding Context. Um, so we're on Facebook, Instagram, pretty much all the social media is at adding context adding context and then our website is adding context.com you can find our episodes pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts nice very good um does anybody else have anything to add to uh either dungeons and dragons or just in general life what's going on with everything you know other than you know trying to make as whatever the situation we have now as best as we can just find a group of friends, grab a log on to D&D Beyond and have fun. It, I, I truly think that there's a lot of benefits to D&D. Um, I was really excited to hear that my uh, kid's school, one of the librarians took it upon herself to kind of have a D&D club, um, which which is really nice considering, you know, as you pointed out, you were told as a kid, you can't play D&D because it's satanic and you can't listen to Marilyn Manson because it's satanic and being at a number of Marilyn Manson shows and playing D and D I can assure you that that's not satanic. <laughs> um, but, uh, having the D and D club at my kid's school was it just, was really awesome. I actually took it a point to talk to the librarian at her idea by it. And she agreed, you know, 
there's a lot that you can develop as a person from D&D, critical thinking skills, math skills, you know, memory. There's a lot of little things that people would never think are associated with playing D&D that you can really develop as a person. Mm-hmm. So I'm all for, I'm a huge ambassador for it. More people to play, the better. I actually, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I've actually put Dungeons and Dragons uh, on my resume. Not necessarily I play Dungeons and Dragons, but it says team building exercises met weekly, overcoming uh, goal oriented and things along those lines to to let them know like, hey, these are the, my experiences. Um, and I did have one person like, hey, tell me about this. Like, how, how are you doing this weekly with, with a group of people? And I was like, oh, it's Dungeons and Dragons. And they're like, <laughs> Well, <laughs> oh, can you tell me more? I was like, so I broke it down of like, yeah, we're we're opening communication in ways that we wouldn't normally. We have challenges that we can't actually experience, but we overcome them together with team building or individual aspects while putting ourselves in unusual situations. Um, got the job, so that was great. Uh, <laughs> um, I think uh, the only thing that I really want to add on to that is like whatever you hear Dungeons and Dragons is, like if you hear about Critical Role or if you hear about the Adventure Zone podcast or, you know, even listening to Dungeons and Chill, it is it's not that it is that. But for you, it doesn't have to be that there's a lot of editing. There's a lot of practice. There's even retakes, um, at least uh, in, in podcast form. I know that there are many times with my podcast where it's like, hey, can you say that line again? Uh, you didn't really pick up on the mic or like, hey, that was kind of a lame one liner. Um, it wasn't really cool. Can we get you to say something a little bit more PC or something along those lines? Um, it is what you make it. It is not whatever you think everyone else is doing. It's whatever you want in that moment. And feeling like you need to do what Matt Mercer does on Critical Role? No. You, you need to stop that thinking. Take inspiration for sure, but make it your own. Yeah, to to kind of tag on to what David was talking about, you know, for, for anybody that doesn't know, Critical Role is a group of very well-known voice actors. They do anime, video games, everything. So they're phenomenal actors in their own right. So their character development, the way that they role play is going to be vastly different than a lot of people who, you know, like me are not trained actors or anything like that. So people watch and go, oh, I want to play just like that. And they might be a little disenfranchised when their their session doesn't go as lively as you know a critical oral episode, but understand and uh, what I've heard come out of the characters' mouths and, and the voice actors themselves, you know what you see go on there. Yeah, emulate it a little bit. Kind of be nice to kind of take that as a model, but don't try and capture the fire in a bottle that they've got there because that's that's a unique experience. And I think every session should be a unique experience and can be a unique experience. And like we said at the beginning, it's it's all about having a, an imagination and, and having fun. Yeah, it's I I don't think I before today I would have thought about putting you know this type of thing or whatever else on resume. But yeah, it makes sense. You know, you're you're showing that you're a team player. You have critical thinking, and even uh, Mike with your 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 kid in school. Yeah, I mean, when kids developing their mind, you know, that's just, you know, just going to, I think, exponentially grow their their future. Yeah. So there, sorry, there, there's a lot of things in, 
in a lot of aspects of life that you, if you really start breaking down and, and see how it can develop you as a person, you know, there's a lot of unexpected things that people don't realize that you know, looking on the outside, you know, D and D being satanic, it, there's not could be nothing good to come out of it, but everybody that I've ever played D and D with have, have all been genuinely good, nice, humble people. I mean, yeah, you have your exceptions every once in a while, but by and large, they're good hearted people. They, they work well with others. They, as of the things that David mentioned about team building and things like that, you get used to being in a group. You, I know a lot of introverts who enjoy and kind of thrive playing D and D because it gives them a chance to kind of break out of their shell for a little bit. And it's just long enough that they get out of that shell and then it can go back into a little hole and, and be comfortable with, with their life again. Um, one other question I had and um, I probably should have brought it up earlier, but kind of got onto a roll. But uh, when, the, the time or two that I played before, we played Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. What's advanced about it compared to normal Dungeons and Dragons? Or so is, is there a difference? Just, <laughs> it was really just the the next edition. It was, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, then there was Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, second edition. And then it went to third. Now you just refer to them as their editions. That's really all it was. It's not like anything was advanced, so to speak. <laughs> Yeah. No, just just a different uh edition or role or title. Yeah. Yeah. Same game, different title. Slightly different changes. Like I said, I, my understanding is they, they try to improve and streamline things with each edition. They kind of fell off a cliff with fourth edition, but uh I think they did a good job of picking it back up for fifth. Agreed. Um so yeah, I think that um kind of wraps up everything i kind of want to talk about so uh once again uh david thank you for being on uh mike thank you for coming on coming back on again i'm glad uh you know we could discuss some things i, I learned some more things about D that i never thought i would want to know i mean you know there's you know aspects of it i would wouldn't have thought about before today so that's kind of why one of both of you on here uh like i said i'm i'm always trying to learn new things um and see what other people are into so i appreciate both of you for coming on thanks for having us yeah thank you all right um if nothing else is said i'm going to say goodbye everybody you have been listening to firing synapses with matt hamity i want to thank everyone who listened to the show if you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your friends. Also, feel free to send all questions, comments, constructive criticisms, and new topics to mhamityphoto at gmail.com. That's M-H-A-M-I-D-Y photo at gmail.com. It just may end up on a future episode. If you would also like to help the show... You can follow me on all your social media platforms, which includes Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it's still free. Otherwise, goodbye, everybody.